0: Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God.
1: So this evening we're going to be starting the book of 2 Kings, We saw the last time the demise of the evil king Ahab. Unfortunately, his wife was just as evil as him, if not more, and she's still around. Uh, but today we're going to look at, you know, the second second kings. We're going to embark on that and check out the monarchies and uh, Ahab's son, Ahaziah, takes over. Uh, we'll see what he's like. Um, it's a, a short chapter, and Ahaziah's legacy in the Bible is not very long. But... Whenever I start a new book, I always start with an overview. So I'm going to cover three points to the overview, and then we're going to jump right into the chapter. The author. Well, many believe that 2 Kings was written by the prophet Jeremiah or one of his prophetic contemporaries. 2 uh, Kings has a very similar literary style to Jeremiah, at least parts of it. So if you compare 2 Kings 24 and 25 to Jeremiah 52, it's extremely similar. Uh, the scope of the letter, of the book. Uh, Second Kings takes us all the way to 722 BC with the northern kingdom of Israel being attacked and taken over by the Assyrians. Um, a few more years goes by, a few more decades. We run into the Babylonians in 586 BC. Jerusalem has Jerusalem fallen, the temple has uh, fallen, the temple, the walls are fallen, uh, and then we get we go a little bit further than 586 B.C. And that's where 2 Kings ends. The purpose? Well, we see God's punishment uh, often played out in God removing his protective hand uh, to the divided nation. After Solomon, the nation is divided. Israel was united. After Solomon, you have the ten tribes in the north, the two tribes in the south. The north is known as Israel, the south is known as Judah. Uh, we see this This uh, decay of the nation, the divided kingdom, because of idolatry, immorality, and disunity. I wonder, you know, where the United States will be 10 and 20 years from now. You know, I mean, we look at the nations of the world, and God has always been faithful to judge wicked leadership, wicked nations, um, nations going against him. There is a push today, and I think we have to be very careful. You always have to look at the Bible in context. There's a push today to compare... The United States and warnings and prophecy warnings that Isaiah Isaiah seven and different scriptures apply to the United States. It doesn't. It applies to Israel. Um, it re- this really goes along with replacement theology, where Israel's put aside and the church takes over, or other nations take over from Israel. And it's very um, it's subtle, but it's dangerous because when we start to go down that road, we make the Bible say anything we want it to say. Now. Does the Bible warn of judgment? Does it warn leaders and nations turning away from him? Absolutely. In that case, in general, there are principles that would affect the United States and Europe and other nations of the world. However, we can't make that direct applications of something of Old Testament prophecies that spoke about Israel, take them away from Israel, and say now it applies to the United States. That's where we have to be careful. So all that being said, we'll jump in and we'll see what we have. So, chapter 1. Starting with verse 1, it says, Moab rebelled against Israel after the death of Ahab. That would be King Ahab. Now Ahaziah, King Ahaziah, his son, fell through the lattice of his upper room in Samaria and was injured. So he sent messengers and said to them, Go inquire of Baal-zebub, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover from this injury. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, Elijah the prophet, Arise, go, up to meet the messengers of the king of Samaria and say to them, it is because there is no God in Israel that you are going to inquire of Balzebub, the god of Ekron." Now, there, is God speaking about himself. It's actually kind of interesting. Was there's no God in Israel that you have to go to this foreign place and find these false gods? Very sad. Now, therefore, says the Lord, you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up. You shall surely die. So Elijah departed. Well, what we find is, a few things. People say, well, what does Moab have to do anything with anything? Well, we know that when the nation went against God, she started to decline in prosperity, in borders, in geography, in wealth. You know, God removed his protective hand. So for the longest time, Israel had some control over Moab, and now we see, even after the divided kingdom, after Solomon, you know, it's funny when it's, it reminds me of blood in the water. When sharks see blood, more of them come. So they see that God's people, you know, it's amazing, there's a great witness to the pagans. You're not listening to your God, and you're going to suffer for it. So Moab now rebels, and Moab splits off. So that's a little interesting part there. But King Ahaziah, son of Ahab, wicked king, he falls through this lattice. Now, I looked it up in the Hebrew, and one of the translations is balustrade, balustrade. And these are proper terms, uh, the balusters, people, we say banister for a handrail, but a balustrade is those vertical pieces, very pretty, very ornate, very shapely, usually in those days made out of wood, and there would be many of them going across, a palace, a second floor, a hallway, um, just to let let some light in, instead of a wall, you have this balustrade, and what happens is, um, what probably happened, we don't know how it happened, but we know that the king... Now, this would be in his palace. They're fancy. They look really nice. Well, either one was maybe of, uh, the wood was rotting, it, there wasn't upkeep, or maybe they were horsing around on the second floor. We don't know. But what we do know is the king either went to put some weight on it, or was pushed up against it, or slipped and fell against it. The thing gives way, and he falls down. <laughs> <a> thud. <laughs> so, did he break a bone? Was it a head injury? Only I would ask these questions. You know what I'm saying? So I'm just, oh, the guy fell through the lattice. What happened? I, I want to know. But, you know, the Bible only tells us what we need to know. We just know it was a freak accident and it was a mortal injury. Although, he doesn't know it yet. So he's seeking, he's going, to, this isn't the weirdest thing too, because Ekron is on the west side, really, of Judah. So he, he sends his delegation from most likely Samaria south West to Philistine territory, to one of the Philistine cities, to one of their false deities, to look for answers. Sad, you know, I mean, under the guise of being God's people. And there's people today that that consider themselves maybe a Christian or this or that, and they're really looking in the wrong places. I mean, I have friends that I know that are Jewish that are seeking the Kabbalah. And I'm like, bro, read the Old Testament. (laughs) Here's the scripture. Don't do that. That's really bad, this mysticism. And God says, don't do that. Uh, But it's almost like that song, Looking for Love in All the Wrong Places. You know what I'm saying? Don't do it. But he does it. So the angel of the Lord sends the prophet Elijah to intercept the royal delegation, to chide him, chide the king, and to tell him, you're going to die. Now, The angel of the Lord, the word in the Hebrew, just means messenger, right? Uh, We've taken that word to mean a heavenly messenger, a created being, a winged being, um, but sometimes it just means messenger. On very rare occasions, the word has been translated. Remember, it's specifically messenger. Men have been messengers, and they're not angels. There's also, you know, this is so cool because it coincides completely with Sunday's message in Philippians 2. I talked all about Jesus before he took the form of a man. He was the second person of the Godhead, right? He was always God. He wasn't a created being. He just took the form of a man in the first century, and, you know, fully God, fully man, died for our sins. But what did he do before he took... You know, I got this question too recently. Um, What happened? What was Jesus doing before he was fully man in the first century? Well, a lot of Bible scholars look at this angel of the Lord as the pre-incarnate Christ, as God. He came down; he was somewhat veiled because you can't look at God's full glory and live. And he would give messages, messengers, he messages. He would intercept, you know, in, in the Old Testament realm, come into our dimension and then go back out. So he says to Elijah, "Hey Elijah, over there, <laughs> go stop them." hijack them, well, maybe not, and um, tell them, this is, this, is what God, this is what God says, right? So I find that fascinating that we just covered this on Sunday. I love when the Sunday messages and Wednesday messages coincide, but now some um, struggle with this. Wow, it seemed like a harsh message. Remember, the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah, actually they were supposed to be in the United Kingdom, were supposed to set an example to the people. They were de facto shepherds. They were really de facto spiritual men. And a lot of them didn't act like it. They failed. And with the privilege the privilege of this royalty, they were supposed to remain moral and lead the people to follow God. And when they didn't, God would deal with them. He would judge them. I think what people say, that's harsh. You know what's harsh? When a leader leads his followers, his or her followers, to damnation. To me, that's harsh. You know, it's all in how you look at things. When we look at things through... God's word, colored glasses, everything makes sense to us. It all makes sense. I can tell you this too that where's the mercy? The mercy is he's being told, you're going to die. So between the time he hears that and the time he dies, he has a chance to what? Repent. So there's mercy. He didn't just take his life. You're going to die. Well, we can assume from everything we read that he didn't repent. But. You know, God had had enough of Ahab's line. This corruption, this immorality, this, this godlessness in the family. Um, when I was writing this, I couldn't help but put a little something in a, a parentheses. And I'm like, all right, Lord, do me a favor. Can you intervene and start judging some of American politics? You know what I'm saying? I mean, we're just seeing bad upon bad upon bad. So uh, one day he will. Um, anyway, so Elijah basically says to him, why would you seek Baal-zebub? Why would you go to Ekron? Why would you seek this false god? Is there not a god in Israel? And the answer is, of course there's a god in Israel. That's where the message is coming from. Uh, and then he pronounces judgment. Okay. So why would God's people and God's leaders go after, fall, go after false gods? You know, there's this a principle where, uh, and I see this too. I see this in the church today. You know, people come to church. Um, You tell them about God and no strings attached and Jesus died for your sins and you could walk with him, be filled with the Holy Spirit. I mean, promise upon promise, blessing upon blessing. And um, every so often I run into a situation where the person leaves, gets involved with a cult where they're told what to do. They get involved with a situation where they're held in bondage. People like bondage. It's a crazy thing. Hey, freedom in Christ. No, I want to be in bondage. I want to be told what to do. I want to be abused. Uh, It's sad. And I have to be careful. I don't mean to be sarcastic, although I kind of end being, but I think it it saddens me more than anything that, and in my mind, I can think of a whole bunch of people. They have left Jesus Christ, literally, not the church. They've left Jesus to follow bondage. And it's sad. It's depressing. It's the human condition, right? Right? Look at, again, look at American politics. I'm not going to get this side or that side, but people want to be ruled over. You know, they want to be told what to do. They want to be, they want to give these politicians more and more power over their lives. This is where we are in American politics. It's very sad. I think that we're at a turning point in this country. Bondage looks better to a lot of people than freedom in Christ. You experience it. You know, you see it. Verse 5. Verse 5 says, And when the messengers returned to him, the king, he said to them, Why have you come back? In other words, this trip is supposed to take X amount of time. You guys are back real soon. What happened? They know how long it would take to go there and get back. So the messenger said to him, A man came up to meet us and said to us, Go, return to the king who sent you, and say to him, Thus says the Lord, It is because... There is no God in Israel that you are sending to inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Ekron. Now, they know something is special about Elijah because how would he know that? Some strange guy shows up and says, well, I know where you're going and I know who sent you and I know the reason you're going there. Whoa, maybe we should listen to this guy. I love that. And you know when you meet a person in your life that there's something different about them. There's... They just know something. They have a word of knowledge. You know, this, they, this person's got to be from God. Or maybe God has used you in that situation. Therefore, you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. And he's, by the way, the king could have killed them at this point, just so you know. The, they disobeyed his orders. What kind of man was it who came up to meet you and told you these words? So they probably, on appearance, didn't recognize it. Elijah. But they describe him and they say, well, he was a hairy man and he wore a leather belt around his waist. And he said, it is Elijah, the Tishbite. I find humor in the scripture. <laughs> so they come back, uh, they tell him about their encounter with Elijah. And I love the description. And again, if you go into the original language, not necessarily that he was extremely hairy, but he he was he had a lot of hair, he possessed hair. And what we understand about Elijah was he lived off the land. He wore a leather belt, you know, he probably lived out in the woods a lot. Um, he had a hairy garment. You know, this was his used animal hair and skins to keep him warm or whatever. Uh, in Luke 1 and Matthew 3, we see John the Baptist had a very similar ministry and appearance. I love how close, was it Luke one seventeen that he'd come in the spirit and power of Elijah how close John the Baptist and Elijah were. Very, like a carbon copy. One Old Testament, one New Testament. Um, And and I'm going to speak about John too, because, you know, we've covered the Gospels. John, Elijah, uh, they weren't the elitist at the time. You know, they were, you know what? They weren't stained by the elitist mentality. Uh, How many times did God have... Put somebody and, and they, he gave them authority and they, they let it go to their heads. Well, he kept Elijah and John pretty pure. Um, I actually have no use for elitists. I don't like to see them and hear them in the media or politicians because they have this attitude that they're just better than everybody else. Um, John and Elijah had no time for that. They had no time to mince words. They had no time for uh, niceties. Uh, they just told people what God told them to tell them. Um, and you know what? We, at times, God will put us in the wilderness. Right? He'll put us in a, in a part of our life where we sometimes feel alone. Sometimes we feel very lonely. Um, sometimes we feel odd, maybe like outcast, quirky. Um, you don't fit in anywhere else. I tell you, that's when God can really use you. I, I tell you, I, when I was reading this. I was thinking of myself. If I was so jet set and I had so many friends and I had so many parties to go to, I wouldn't spend as much time sitting in front of the computer with a Word document, reading books, putting messages together. So I look at myself as an odd duck sometimes, but it's such a cool thing because he'll sometimes separate you, set apart, that's called holiness, to use you. So if you think that you're unusual or odd or quirky, It might just be what the doctor ordered. I see some smiles. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and it's painful at times, you know. But what are we sacrificing for the Lord? Jesus sacrificed everything for us. How many times have you seen someone start out humble and then get a big break? Changes their personality and their character, right? You know, God may be trying to use them, but they're just completely self-directed. How many times have you even seen, a, a? you know, there was a book written about Jim Baker, who he started out as a really solid Bible teacher. Then once they put it, started putting cameras in their churches and he was on TV, the man changed. And his li- sad. I mean, if you chronicle Jim Baker's life, the, he eventually repented. He went to prison. I mean, he started hum- humble and then rose to the top and he was a shooting star and then he fell. And then he went to prison. And then he rededicated his life to the Lord in prison. You know what I'm saying? It's an interesting study on humanity. Um, You know, a lot of these Christian leaders are so desirous to become celebrities. Uh, Some of them become real jerky, you know what I'm saying? Uh, And and quite frankly, I I know it isn't my business what people do. However, some of these guys and gals, and they're starting to wear like $10,000 suits and clothing, I think that's excessive. You know, they start to behave and become like this celebrity. $10,000 $10,000 suits, watches, crazy stuff. Christian leaders. But John and Elijah wore hairy garments and a leather belt. Let's put this in perspective. You know, I'd rather hang out with them. I think I could be more myself than some of these, you know, whatever. I'll move on. <laughs> Verse 9. Then the king sent to him a captain of 50 with his 50 men. And he went up to him. And there he was sitting on the top of a hill, outside again. And he spoke to him, man of God, the king has said, come down. So Elijah answered and said to the captain of 50, if I am a man of God, then let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. And fire came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. Verse 11, and he sent to him another captain of 50 with his 50 men. And he answered and said to him, "Man of God, thus has the king said, Come down quickly. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm the second captain and I see the big burn mark and they can't find the troops, I'm going to be nice to Elijah. This guy wasn't very bright. So verse 12, Elijah answered and said to him, If I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. And the fire of God came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. Wow. So the king, he's angry. Um, How many, (laughs) you got one guy on a mountain. How many guys does it take to serve uh, an arrest warrant? A handful. He's got 50 guys looking to take Elijah. Who knows? Um, But I think what's noteworthy in this is that Elijah, don't you remember it wasn't that long, a few chapters ago, that the queen said, I'm going to get you, basically. I'm going to kill you. Um, I'm sure he wasn't afraid of her, but she was going to send the military to get him and kill him. So he runs for his life. Now here he is, confidently sitting on the mountain, doesn't run into a cave, doesn't flee, has a dialogue with his captain, and uh, he's, he overcomes. So I just want to encourage you with this. It, it just, some things just strike me. This struck me too. Because I love Elijah, and I, I chronicle his life. I probably can answer a lot of questions if you ask me. If it was Bible trivia about Elijah, just love the guy. Just a regular guy, just trying to serve the Lord. But he he overcomes, and I love that. You know, he's fearful, scared, running away, has a pity party. We we covered this a few months back. Now he's confident. He's like, "If I'm a man of God, let this happen." So I just want to encourage you with that. You know, you might be struggling with something, and uh, give it to the Lord. He can make you a mighty man or a mighty woman of God. He can. And you notice he said, if. It's the Lord's will. If I am, then this will happen. And the Lord honored that. Uh, what we find is that in Elijah's life, he has his ups and downs. But pretty much he's tough. He confronts kings and armies. He's gritty. He can't be bought. He can't be intimidated to change God's word. And sometimes, well, not sometimes, but... And, so put Baker aside, his was glamour, sin. Then you've got other men of God who, who rub elbows now. They want to meet people, governors, presidents, kings, monarchs. Did, did, did. Find me any person who makes that many friends with that many people. You're shaking your head, right? And watch how it changes him. Well, now he doesn't want to say things that offend anybody. He's got all these friends now. So he's got to take God's word, he's got to massage it a little bit. He becomes a chiropractor, he adjusts it here and there to make it palatable to everybody. You know, not Elijah. There's a misconception that God's people are always supposed to be wishy-washy, indecisive pushovers, and I I don't see that in the scripture. Here you have a tough job and a tough man to fill that tough job. There's an expression that I love, it's quoted a lot, it usually uh, speak, speaks about military and police. It says, We sleep soundly in our beds because rough men, rough men stand ready in the night to visit violence on those who would do us harm. You know, Elijah confronted the evil forces of the king and it took the attention now off of the people. So, now some people look at this and they, you know, they say, Oh, those poor soldiers. I have the utmost respect... <laughs> being in law enforcement. Law enforcement, soldiers, but there comes a time where you have to say, I'm not following that order. It's immoral. It's ungodly. I'm not going to do it. Uh, and it's quite possible that Elijah or uh, Ahaziah found 50 men and 50 men and two leaders that were some of the worst scoundrels that he could find in his military. Why well, he needs 50 guys to take one, one prophet? They probably were, who knows, they we maybe going to beat him up, torture him, drag him through the streets, and show the Israelites, look, he's nothing. We don't know. Again, I'm speculating. I don't know the answer. But I do know that God is a fair God. And what we find is both sets of 51 get torched, and the third, the third set does not. Uh, and, you know, the word man of God is, it could have been used mockingly. Man of God. Come with us. Come down here quickly. So in the sense, are you really honoring him with that term when you're speaking, you know, uh, in the imperative? Okay. Okay, what's interesting too is that, and just before we move on, do you remember in Luke 9, the disciples, when the Samaritans would not receive the message of salvation? And what did, the, what did John and James say to Jesus? Lord, shall we call down fire from heaven like Elijah did? And Jesus is like, Cool your jets, you know what I'm saying? Guys, take it easy. Um, What he actually said was, you do not know what manner of spirit you are. The Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. Now, of course, Jesus was ministering in the age of grace, but I find it interesting that the disciples knew who Elijah was too. Here's another thing, folks. There's another wave, there's so much false doctrine out there. Another wave of false doctrine of... uh, those that teach pastors, that teach the New Testament, that not only they want to do away with Israel, they want to do away with the Old Testament. Do you know how many times Jesus, the disciples, Peter, Paul, John, mentioned the Old Testament? How do we get ourselves away from the, Jesus quoted and he spoke about Adam and Eve when, it's, when it came to marriage. So Jesus was basically saying to them, different dispensation, dispensation guys, you guys are cut out for something totally different. Verse 13 It says, again, he sent a third captain of 50 with his 50 men. And the third captain of 50 went up and came and fell on his knees before Elijah and pleaded with him and said to him, Man of God, please let my life and the life of these 50 servants of yours be precious in your sight. Look, fire has come down from heaven and burned up the first two captains of 50s with their 50s. But let my life now be precious in your sight. And the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, go down with him and do not be afraid of him. So he arose and went down with him to the king. Then he said to him, thus says the Lord, because you have sent messengers to inquire of Baalzebub, the God of Ekron, is it therefore because there's no God in Israel to inquire of his word? Therefore you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. I think it's amazing that, you know, it's amazing. I hear people say today, well, if God would just show more miracles first of all god does do miracles he's doing a lot of them on the missions field by the way but it just goes to show you was it that long ago that elijah had the 450 prophets of Baal, right the contest and fire comes down from heaven to consume the sacrifice wasn't that long ago was it okay just so everybody in case they forgot he does this feat with two of the the 50 uh, men army takes them out too I mean, imagine if you were there and you saw that, or you heard about it, or you saw the charred remains, and the people still wouldn't believe in God. The king still wouldn't repent. And I hear it today. Well, if God would just do, the whole Testament's filled with miracles. The children of Israel, there was a a miracle every day in the wilderness, literally. Even if it meant that the sandals of their feet were not going to wear out while they were going through the wilderness. To some people, you could show them everything, and they're still going to harden their hearts. So it's just something to consider. When we hear that, when we think about that, when we're tempted to go in that direction, right? were these people any sm- any, are we that much smarter than them? Jesus did miracles in the New Testament. He rose people from the dead. That's amazing. Raised them from the dead. So the third uh, captain of 50 men is much smarter than the previous two, or maybe much more humble, or maybe values his life a lot more, and he pleads with Elijah for his men and his men's lives, and guess what? It's granted. And the angel of the Lord says, don't be afraid, go with them. So my impression, again, I'm reading into it, is that at least the first 50, and then the king sends the second 50, his, his motives were to hurt Elijah. His motives were to make him disappear. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And uh, the angel of the Lord says, it's okay. You can go with these guys. I bet you they relished the fact that he spared their lives, and they probably took really good care of him, bringing them back to the king. So, this is what happens. Um, God wants Elijah to go tell the king face to face now. You're sinning. You're wrong. And you need to repent, basically. And what I love about this is there's judgment, but there's space to repent. When there's sin, there has to be judgment. Okay, But even when there is judgment, there's space to repent. And that's the beautiful thing about what Christ came to bring us, We're, you know, the world is under the curse of sin. It's under the curse of judgment. But Jesus came to die for our sins. And uh, that's a beautiful thing. We repent, we change our ways, we turn towards the Lord, and we start walking with Him. And it's great. It's great. Last two verses. So Ahaziah died according to the word of the Lord which Elijah had spoken. Because he had no son, Jehoram, that's his brother became king in his place in the second year of Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah. Now the rest of the acts of Ahaziah, which he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? So a few things here. Well, just to clear up any misunderstanding. or There were, there were two Jehorams. Um, one was already reigning in Judah. So apparently Jehoram was a, a common name. And we see that in the Bible. We even see that with the disciples. Some of them had similar or the same name, and there was another name that differentiated themselves from the other person. Uh, So, two Jehorams, one was already king in Judah, and the other one was Ahaziah's brother who was going to take over because he died from that injuries from the fall. Two, the fire from heaven was really a type of judgment on the world unless repentance takes place. Fire from heaven comes down. All right. The third group, the 51. Um, that one captain really was like a mediator for those men. He saved their lives by asking for forgiveness, by pleading for his life. Uh, if we could just put up 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 through 9. There's two thoughts here. It says that the Lord will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God. Now, remember, those who do not know God were given chance. were given many chances. And on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, only one way into heaven. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. You want to see miracles? Wait till the book of Revelation starts to unfold. There'll be a lot of miracles. And people are going to repent. They're going to see the cataclysmic events, and they're going to repent, which is an awesome thing. Repentance is what God is looking for. Um, third point, Ahaziah dies, as God said. Just, just so you know what type of God we serve, and I know you know this, the Wednesday night crowd. Um, I'm just going to give you two scriptures, not that anybody needs me to defend God, but two scriptures. Ezekiel 18.23, this is awesome. God speaking through Ezekiel. Do I have any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, says the Lord God, and not that he should turn from his ways and live? What's God's desire? Not to punish anybody. His desire is Repentance. But when there's a sin issue and it's brought on the curse, he has to deal with it. You've got to choose his way, period. 1 uh, Timothy 2, 4, God desires all to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. That's the God we serve. Four, and last point, conforming and compromising with the world instead of conforming to the Lord's ways. We see it with the children of Israel. We saw it tonight with King Ahaziah. And we see it today. Sometimes by those that call themselves Christians. And, listen, God's got to do what he has to do. You know, unfortunately, we see, and it's a sad story, some that are just, you know, they basically maybe just want God for fire insurance. They just want to maybe get to heaven. And that's it. They're courting the world. They're addicted to the things in the world. They have ungodly relationships. And... You know, they worship worldly things. I'll just leave you with this. Ahaziah had two examples. Think about this. And we also have two examples. One was his wicked father Ahab. You know, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I'm sure many of you didn't grow up in a Christian home. So the first example was his father, his biological father, but he was a very wicked man. His second example, when we look at this uh, chapter, is the prophet Elijah, who's a very good man, who's a very godly man, who's somebody who's very close to God, has a relationship with the Lord. These are the king's two examples. He wasn't a stupid man, he was the king. Ahaz chose evil, Ahaziah chose evil, even though God gave him a chance to repent. And God has given everyone who's ever lived a chance to repent, and he's also given them two examples. So many good lessons against compromising with the world, but rather conforming with the, with the Lord's ways. And I'll tell you what, if this doesn't affect us directly, it's really a good warning. And that's the thing about Scripture. Maybe it doesn't have a direct application in that particular chapter, but at least it's something that we can put in the back of our mind. Two examples. All of us go through life seeing two examples. Sometimes the example of the wicked are, and I put this on a Facebook post a while ago, you know, they're maybe fun people to be with. They're very charismatic. They're, they're, they're a hoot to party with. They're funny. They'll make you laugh. They'll make you feel good in the flesh. But one day, you're so far engrossed in this sin that you have a hard time looking in the mirror. Or we can choose other examples. Godly people. Those that reflect Jesus. You know, and we, and we look at that and we're, our spirit is attracted to that. You know, that's something that... Um, God wants us to be a part of. He wants us to to be set apart. He doesn't want us to be with that first group. And the choice is ours. And every single person in the world has that choice. Let's pray.
0: You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields.